Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 365 is recorded live May 3rd, 2018. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan where it is green and soggy. And this is going to be kind of an unusual episode. And it's, I don't think we've done it more than a couple times before, but this will be a solo episode. So I expect it to be pretty quick. We hope that Mac gets well soon. He's uh, feeling a little bit under the weather and said he would just be coughing the whole show. So he couldn't make it. And we have other members of the crew are out traveling today or diving. So good luck to everybody else. And we'll try and knock this one out. I'd like to thank everybody who's been tuning into the show and downloading. If you're enjoying the show, why don't you tell a friend? We'd love to see those five-star reviews. And if also, if you can give us a little bit, $2, $3 would help us greatly. Head on over to our website, www.scubobsess.com. Click onto the Patreon link and give us a hand. So what we're going to do is jump right on into the news. And I've got these articles are going to be a little bit out of order. And maybe it's a good thing that we don't have a bunch of people on the show because the internet is surely a mess this week. First article has to deal with Penn State. Uh, Penn State lets students keep their scuba club, but only after they swear never to host a scuba trip again. No one at Pennsylvania State University has ever drowned on a scuba diving trip. So why does the school suddenly think the activity is too dangerous? Penn State recently decreed that three student-led outdoor adventure groups, the hiking club, the cave exploration club, and the scuba club would have to disband due to safety liability concerns. Even though none of the long-running clubs have ever reported a problem, uh, reasons Lenore Schnensky bemoaned that his joy-killing paranoia in a recent post, uh, now that the scuba club has been granted a reprieve, but it's a significant caveat. The Nittany Divers Scuba is no longer allowed to organize scuba diving trips. We just serve as a special interest organization for scuba divers and people interested in scuba diving, the group leader said. Members of the club will still be able to discuss and celebrate scuba, according to an announcement on the Facebook page, but they can never act on their feelings in any official or formal capacity. The Penn State Recreational Department has promised to organize scuba trips on behalf of the interested students. These trips would happen under administrative supervision. It's tough to understand why exactly Penn State needed to take the responsibility of chaperoning scuba divers. A Penn State spokesman claimed that certain outdoor activities exceed the university's acceptable risk threshold, partly because they take place in areas of poor cell phone coverage or it would be difficult to contact emergency services. Obviously, you can't use a phone underwater. Uh, they've existed for over 50 years and never had a safety issue. We have an impeccable safety record. The other two risky groups, the Outing Club and the Grotto Caving Club, have been around even longer, 98 years and 70 years, respectively. Caving Club president tells uh, the newspaper that even outdoor trips continue under university directions, definitely lose a little bit of its adventure aspect. 
I can easily imagine these trips losing some of their excitement appeal after the administration has stripped away the students' autonomy. That would be a terrible shame, sending the outdoor normally and healthy and certainly worse if a far riskier ways for Penn State students to spend their weekends, uh, which this happens to be unfortunate. It's just a sign of the times, in my opinion, that uh, the university doesn't want to accept the risk, and I'm sure they've got a lawyer who's who's looking out there and saying that this is just a little bit too much for us to accept. I, I find it interesting that they're still willing to organize a trip, so it tells me that the activity in itself isn't dangerous. They just didn't like that they didn't have control over it. But this is where the, the aspect of a club falls into a gray area because it makes you wonder what's to prevent students on their own not having an officially sanctioned club organizing a trip. Because usually by the time you're at your college age, you're all adults, and there's nothing saying you couldn't work with a travel agent, have this. Uh, You probably lose some of the access of posting and organizing and meeting on campus, but you could easily do something off campus. I'm not suggesting that the students want to break any rules, but when you consider all the things that students could be doing uh, specifically around the spring break time, uh, scuba diving doesn't seem to be that much of a risk. And then this one's a little bit of a follow-up to an article we've had before. Scientists revived a 220-year-old beer found in a shipwreck. Australian brewers are working to revive the 220-year-old beer made from yeast found in a shipwreck discovered more than two decades ago. The porter-style beer will be aptly named the Wreck Preservation Ale is being produced by a brewing company, James Squire, for limited release in June. The East is found in a merchant ship called the Sydney Cove, which was traveling from India to the British colony of Port Jackson until it became stripped wreck at Preservation Island near Tasmania in 1797. Teas, rice, and tobacco were carried on the ship as well as 4,000 liters of alcohol. Those bottles remained sealed, and the East remained preserved in the ice-cold waters of the Bass Strait. These were excavated and donated to the Queen Victoria Museum and Art Gallery in Lancaster, Tasmania, and the researchers worked with the Australian Wine Research Institute to isolate the yeast. I thought we might be able to culture the yeast and recreate a beer that hasn't been on a planet for 220 years, museum curator and chemist David Thoroughgood said in a post. These strains change over time, but the AWRI discovered that it was a rare hybrid strain that differed from modern ale strains. Brewers tested and tried different ways to use the yeast in modern brewing methods, but were able to create a beer that apparently has hints of black currant and spices, and they expect it to be just a little funky. Portions of the beer sales will be used to further QVMAG's research into Sydney Cove collection. So that'll be interesting. Somebody who's down there will have to try it and let me know if it's any good. Um, I'm kind of curious, is this all gimmick or is it any... Anything that's really different is the beer going to have that much difference in taste. You sometimes wonder with modern foods, have we cooked all the uh, bread, all the taste out of it? Or are there other reasons why we changed? Maybe the, the new stuff tastes better. And then this one, the huge World War II shipwreck raised from the depths in a massive salvage operation. Uh, the, the vessel's been raised from the bottom of the harbor in Sri Lanka 75 years after the vessel was sunk following attack by Japanese forces. The SS Schengen, a British passenger cargo ship, was hit by Japanese bomber attacks on April 9, 1942, on anchor in Tricomalee Harbor. With fires raging, the ship was abandoned on, April, on August 24, 1943. Damaged vessels deliberately sunk in 35 feet of water to create a pier for Navy ships. 
Authorities in Sri Lanka, however, decide to move the wreck to create more space in the harbor. After a five-month operation, the huge 453-foot hull was recently raised by Sri Lanka's Navy. As part of a mammoth salvage effort, Navy divers worked to restore damage in the rusted hull, strengthen the ship's structure. Divers even installed an artificial side of the vessel as part of an effort to recover lost buoyancy by dewatering the ship, according to Sri Lanka Navy statement. The ship started its ascent to the surface on March 22nd. Uh, the wreck, after being towed to the sea off uh, Tricomalee, the vessel was sunk again as part of an effort to preserve it. Launched in 1924, the merchant ship was used to transport passengers of good between UK and Burma, according to the wreck site website. On the day of the Japanese attack, the vessel was transporting aircraft, ammunition, allied war effort. Most of it was saved. It is the largest shipwreck to grab headlines. Last month, for example, a wreck in USS Juno was sunk by a Japanese torpedo with a loss of 687 sailors in 1942. was discovered by billionaire Paul Allen. And it looks like they have finally given up on the Malaysia Airlines Flight 370 search. Uh, one of the good things that may come out is they say that the sonar hunt may solve shipwreck mysteries. The unprecedented sonar hunt for the missing airliner uh, had the location of two sailing ships that vanished with cargoes of coal. Maritime historians on Thursday published a short list of possible identities of the two shipwrecks, found the initial 710,000 square kilometer three-year search for the Boeing 777 that was lost in 2014 with 238 people on board. The wrecks found in 2015 are 36 kilometers apart and 23,000 kilometers southwest of Australian debris field scattered with coal more than 3.7 kilometers below the ocean's surface. The searchers had a closer look with underwater drones that took photographs of both sites and retrieved a coal sample from one. Analysts showed the coal was possibly from Britain, a Western Australia museum reported. Museum's examination of the images of the shattered remnants of the wooden ship discovered in May 19, 2015, found it was a possibly the brig W. Gordon or the bark... Magdala, according to an incomplete record of the ships lost in that period. The W. Gordon was on voyage from Scotland to Australia when it disappeared in 1877 with 10 crew aboard. The Magdala was lost in 1882 while sailing from Wales to Indonesia. Report found the splitter wreck was most likely sunk by an explosion. Coal cargo of the ear exploded through sinking a sparking of uh, methane gas accumulated below decks or a spontaneous combustion of overheated coal. An iron wreck found on December 19, 2015 is most likely the Bark Westridge, which vanished while sailing from India, England to India with 28 sailors in 1883, the report said. A coal sample from the wreck suggested the cargo was British. There's no evidence which caused the disaster, but the wreck's location east of the trade route from Europe to Asia suggested it might have been heading to the closest port in Australia for help. Museum's curator of museum archaeology, Ross Anderson, said the new data about the two sinkings was a significant byproduct of the search for the Flight 370, which was flying from Malaysia to China when communications to it was lost. Anderson doubted that the identities of two deepest wrecks found in the Indian Ocean would ever be confirmed without a wealthy private benefactor become because of their depth and remoteness. If it was a shipwreck we could dive on, we'd be looking for any artifacts like ceramics or bottles or anything that could confirm. Uh, the Providence. <coughs> These are the deepest wrecks 
So far, located in Indian Ocean, they're some of the most remote shipwrecks in the world. They're trying to maximize any information. The initial underwater sonar probe scoured remote seabeds at a depth of 6,000 meters before Malaysia, China, and Australia agreed to end the state-funded search for the flight last year. The wrecks were found during that search. And then one of our last articles for this week is a homemade yellow submarine was found adrift in San Francisco Bay. The owner says it was stolen. Officials discovered the submarine after receiving a report that was thought to be a downed aircraft near the famed bridge. Alameda County Fire Department said it sent two boats to investigate the waters off the Emeryville after a call came in around 12.39 p.m. Firefighters instead found an unoccupied sub and towed it to a nearby Emeryville marina. The fire department shared photos of the craft as they pulled it out of the water. The pic. The pictures of the unoccupied boat or homemade submarine was initially reported as the aircraft. The sub's owner, a marine scientist, Shawnee Stapadzinski, uh, told the TV station the craft was used for a volunteer group, the Community Submersible Project. The fang tooth can hold two people and travel to 30 feet deep and offer rides on, of up to 30 minutes of air. Somebody stole it and they took it for a joyride, we believe. Uh, the sub was docked at the Berkeley Marina prior to popping up near the bridge on Sunday. It is now an impound lot in Oakland. Uh, the owner has to come up with $2,000 to get the craft out of the lot, but she told uh, the TV station that she was thankful that whoever took the craft didn't end up getting hurt. One of my biggest concerns is for someone might kill themselves in it. Is it is a simple set of systems, but you still need a working knowledge of how a submarine works. So there you go. Yeah, that that is actually pretty surprising that uh, somebody didn't have a problem. Uh, looking at the submarine, I know that's one that Mac would love. Uh, so may, maybe you can get a deal. Maybe you can get it out of the hawk if he, uh, he, he, he forks over the uh, impound cost. So we ripped right through that. I think that is almost record time. So that will do it for Scuba in the News. Uh, and for everybody who's been who's been following my antics, uh, I I should be back on the regular and normal schedule. The robotics team did quite well. They we were in Detroit at the world competition for uh, first robotics, and, and the the team had an exceptional run. Uh, out of sixty seven teams in our division, there was, there's uh, over four hundred teams across six fields. Uh, we ended up uh, the team ended up being on the I'm trying to remember the exact alliance. I believe we were the we were seated fourth and ended up be, ended up being the third alliance. Uh, we won the semifinals and then we got eliminated. Uh, we won the quarterfinals and we got eliminated in the semifinals. But overall, excellent year, one of the best years so far. As far as diving, uh, nobody's going to be getting any river diving in this week. Uh, we had heavy rains this last night, and uh, on my way home driving by, it's. It, I was just thinking. Two days ago, it was beautiful. We've had 80-degree weather uh, in Fahrenheit, and, and that's, I don't say it's unusual, but considering how cold of a spring we've had this year, it was certainly nice. And I, I was looking over at one of the uh, uh, farmer's markets. Now I'm trying to th- uh, think of what we call those. Places where you go grow all the plants, greenhouses. So there was greenhouses that had been flooded, and I, I drove by it. I'm like, wow, you, you wouldn't know that those are underwater. Uh, earlier in the year, and that's where they sit today. So I don't know how much rain we had uh, last night, but it was enough to flood a lot of stuff. Uh, 
So it's going to be soggy. The Hickory Creek there near work is overflowing the banks. So that's going to kill any river diving for the next week or so. And we're really getting out of that river diving season with the weather getting nicer and people getting boats in the river. We tend to stay out of the river. And that's going to mean that we are now looking towards Lake Michigan to see how many dives that we can get in. So um, I saw that Kevin had had some dives up at Lake 16. Um, I, I see that Karen and others were... We're doing some over in uh, Ohio. Uh, so hopefully we get the dive club all getting out there and somebody will be able to get in the big lake. And it's really that time of year. It's been a late season for us getting out there in the big lake. Uh, so we're going to have to make up for some lost time. Well, I think this should about do it. Uh, this will be probably one of the shorter episodes we've done, but without anybody to harass, I, I don't know what else to do. So I think we'll ha- we'll do kind of a bad scuba joke solo edition. So we'll have to see. This one is one that I've I've modified. We have to thank uh, Rod from uh, the Southern Hemisphere again for this one. And uh, I I did do a little bit of tweaking. So uh, we'll just have to see how it goes. The husband gets home from a, a day of diving, and his his wife confronts him right at the door. Where the hell have you been? You said you'd be done by noon after diving. The husband says, I'm, I'm sorry, honey. You probably don't want to hear the rest of the reason. The wife says, I want the truth and I want it now. So he says, fine. Okay, here, here we go. Uh, we finished in under four hours. And then uh, back at the dock, uh, I stopped in the, the bar and I just had a quick beer. Then I hopped in the car and I was going to be here by noon. But on the way home, I spotted a girl half her age struggling with a flat tire. I changed the tire in a jiffy, and the next thing she's offering money. Of course, I had to refuse it, but then she tells me she was headed to the bar at the Sheridan and begs me to stop so she just buy me a beer. She was such a sweetie, I, of course, had to say yes. Before you know it, one beer turned into three or four, and, and I guess we were looking pretty good to each other because then she tells me that she has a room right there at the Sheridan, less than 50 feet from the table. She suggested that we get some privacy, and she's pulling me by the hand. Now I'm in her room and clothes are flying and talking stopped and proceeded to have uh, to make passionate love every way imaginable. It must have gone on for hours because before I know it, the clock says 5.30. I jump up, throw my clothes on, run the car, and here I am. There, you want the truth, you got it. The wife says, bullshit, you did the two-tank dive, didn't you? It's it's rude to laugh at your own joke, so I think we'll just end it there. So until next time, go out there and get wet, and as Mac would say, dive safe. <laughs>